Um, salary is between thirty to thirty-five thousand. Um, and then after ninety days, we provide medical benefits. Okay. Um, and then you have the option to participate in vision and dental as well. Oh, great. Okay. Uh, 90 days, you get a couple days of vacation tied you over till you hit your one year mark. Mm. And then once you hit one year, you get a week. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, we're structuring commuter benefits based on the New York City law. Um, right, I heard that just changed, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it goes fully into effect July 1st. Okay. So, well, technically it was supposed to take effect January 1st, but they give us a six-month lead way to get everything structured. Sure. Um, so hey. we will be structuring in the commuter benefits. This is Nissa Greenberg. Okay. Um, and this is my podcast. Yeah. That's, that's about it's it. called as as are Working Class. Um, now, with this position, I mean, like it's I said, it is an where I uh, for these guys. They can't go really into job interviews for jobs that I find on Craigslist and I tell them a story like a prepared story that I've been working on for the stage this episode I uh, I went to a job that was described as an appointment setter Here it is. Um, so, how do you feel about the position itself? Uh, it sounds interesting. Sounds like you, you know, talk to interesting people, um, and it, I like the idea that this is a community of people that you feel comfortable with. Yeah. Uh, here. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, I just like the idea of talking to lots of different people from different places and different uh, walks of life. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting, I, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it just kind of, you know, it makes your day easier, makes it more fun, because you, you're getting paid to just talk on the phone. Sure, yeah. yeah. That's probably, like, the easiest thing ever. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Okay. What, where do you see yourself in the next year? Um... I feel like uh, I'm interested in a change and then interested in uh, like sticking with that change. It is just like sort of, I think right now in my life, I'm, I'm uh, well, I think back to this uh, time uh, right after college. I feel like there's the, you know, you have these moments in life, right? Where you, uh, where you check where you're at and then you're like, oh, let me like try a different path, right? But these four, I love this Yogi Berra quote. Uh, when there's a fork in the road, take it. Like, I just feel like I'm at a fork in the road. Um, and I'm ready to take it. Uh, right when I graduated college, I remember I, I was doing that thing where you just apply to a billion jobs because you're like, I just need a job, right? And uh, I applied to this job and I, I, I just remember being in the elevator. Um, so I was like trying to leave and I couldn't figure out how to leave because uh, I had, you know, I, I found one of those elevators that has like a, an L and a B and a mm. one and a star and you're just like yeah. I don't know how to which one do I use and uh, I, I had gone in uh, they like sent me a just an email that said we're on the fourth floor come and I didn't even know what the job was you know you just applied to like seven thousand jobs you know that feeling you're telling me yeah and I was like I went up and I'm like on the fourth floor and I go to like the person it's like this woman she's like a 
she's like a scared bird, you know, like the type of person who's like, I don't even know. And I was like, I'm here for the interview. And she's like, which one? And I was like, oh, this is a bad sign, you know, like you're in an office. Yeah. Like, what? They don't even know what interview. She shoves me in this room um, and I'm sitting in this like off, like, and it's like a room like twice the size of this one. But there's like chairs, you know, fold out chairs. Uh, all facing one direction and there's just all these people who are just as like nervous and uncomfortable as me um, and you know they're wearing like the you know they're at their job interview they're wearing their job interview clothes like the stuff they've been like unemployed for a while you can feel it in the air yeah. uh, and I so I I'm sitting there and I'm like what am I doing what is like why am I here I don't even know what this job is for and then this like dude like very much a dude like he wanted to like kick down man's the door. Man. Yeah, man's man. He he like opened the door a little, then bursts out through the door. You know, like the type of man who wishes. Leonidas kind of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he like turned off all the lights, but it was like an office building with like like the windows were like this, so the lights next door were like still on. You know, so it like he thought it was like really dramatic, but it like wasn't. It was sort of like uncomfortable. And then um, the final countdown started playing. Like literally, this is, I felt like this is like a parody of like a human. And he marched down like the center aisle of our thing and he starts like screaming all these like things. Like this is, it's twice as big as this room. It's not like some massive hall. It's just this room and he starts chanting like, uh, he's like, do you want to make money? Do you want to retire early? And I'm like sitting there like, well, I don't, I feel like I have like complicated relations with those like questions. There's like a lot of like in what way and how. And I don't even know what the job's for, right? And then he turns on a video, just like suddenly. And the video explains, it's like dramatic music, and they start talking, this is 2008. So they start talking about how the financial crisis has uh, destroyed every single like, type of uh, industry except for life insurance. And that's what we're supposed to like sell life insurance. And I like realized, like, I don't. You know, there's like lines you draw, right? <laughs> and like, I, I'm worried going to this job interview because I'm like, you know, I was 22 years old and I was like the type of 22 year old that was like, I don't know. I felt like when I was 22, I felt like life was just like a series of moral stances that you like take against everybody. And uh, so I was, <laughs> I was like a, sort of a punk and I didn't wanna, I, uh, I was nervous that I was gonna be like, to outside whatever they were going for and uh and you know i knew they were gonna ask me like what's your biggest weakness and i was like i'm worried i was gonna just devolve into this like right now like what i'm feeling is like i'm socially anxious when i go to parties and i like don't know who i'm supposed to talk to i go to like weird spaces in the party where i'm like standing on like a in the corner so that i can like observe everybody and like obviously that's not what they're looking for but that's what i felt like i was gonna do uh so he starts asking us to like go around um like everybody was supposed to go around and say their name, where they're from, and uh, one thing about themselves. Which to me, feels like a very strange way to do an interview. You know, forty people in a room. Yeah. And uh, he starts going around, and it just I, like I hear this guy Chad. There was like plenty of seats still left, but Chad decided to keep standing. You know, and Chad was like, "I'm Chad. I'm from St. Paul, and I'm a closer." And he like dropped the mic. You know, it was like that type of place. Um, and it got to me, and I was like, I'm Nissa. I, uh, uh, I live in St. Paul, and um, uh, I'm a teacher. I just, like, I wanted to get out of there. I, I was tutoring at the time. I was tutoring math. 
And this guy is like, hey, dude, um, I remember. He said, this is what I remember really vividly. He said, uh, that's really, that's really important. I was like, yeah, sure, but you and I are different. I was like trying to like create barriers. You know when you like yeah, see somebody yeah, yeah. that you're like, that's you not me. Yeah. And you want to like decide that there's a difference between you. And he, uh, he said, it's, you know, sales and teaching have a lot in common because you, when you, uh, when you're teaching, you don't go in and teach them what you want to teach them. You go in and teach them what they want to learn. And I was like, that's a reasonable point. You know, like I had decided this guy was the enemy, but like, I don't he know. speaking some truth. Right. <laughs> and suddenly I'm like, oh no, who, what have I decided I'm against? Who am I defined? But at the same time, I was like 22 and I like wanted to declare myself different than the world. So I like, I, uh, he then said, he, he wrapped up the that portion of the interview and he said, we're going to do four-on-ones afterward. Right. That's what I felt. I was like, I don't want to go to a four-on-one. I want to get out of know. here. I don't want to go. So that's what I was like. I'm gonna, I had to mount my exit thing. I go to the bathroom. I like sit in the bathroom. And I'm like, okay, how do I get out of here? They said there was going to be a five-minute smoke break. I don't smoke. But like, you know, I was like, maybe I can like pretend I smoke and like leave. Uh, but at this point, all the smokers have already gone. So then I'm like... I get out and I make this like big to-do, this is my acting background coming out, I make this big to-do about like, oh, I forgot my cigarettes, I better go, because then I figure, like, I've created the, the the sort of narrative that I could go outside and then like go around the corner to get like cigarettes and then I could just leave, I can just right, right. check out. But I, I don't know why I'm like putting on this big to-do, so I go to the elevator, this is when I go to the elevator, and I get to the elevator and I like, don't know how to get out of the the building and I'm like what do I do how do I get out of here what button do I press L B I hit one right that makes sense one first floor and then the dude the leader gets into the elevator with me and he's like packing his cigarettes and then he hits uh, L and I'm like ah like you know that's where I'm supposed to be going but I've already hit one and I sort of like look at him and we make that eye contact that's like, we're not talking. We just, we're, we're in the elevator, don't talk to each other. But now I like feel this loyalty to one, right? Mm-hmm. So then the elevator go, dings at one and the doors open and I just get out. <laughs> and, and I like turn around and the guy's like holding the door. I turn around because the floor I'm on is an abandoned floor. It's just an abandoned office floor with like a pile of theater props in the corner. Just like dusty 1970s like theater stage props. And I like turn around and this guy is like holding the door for me because he knows what I've done. But I like, I like can't go back in. So I just stand and I like let the doors close. And I like think back to that moment a lot because I think about, I think about like who I was and the choices I made in that moment. In that moment, what the choice I was making was to not be a life insurance salesman, which I think was the right choice. But I also was like making a choice to be defiant against society in this sort of like amoral, nonsensical, just sort of punk way. I was saying, no, I'm getting off at floor one right? with no plan. And I think since then I've like grown, obviously. Uh, but I also, I think I've made 
uh, choices that on some level are like based on this like moral high ground. Um, and I think I'm at the point where I don't know if, a, I, I don't want to go sell life insurance. I don't want to do that. I get that. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be taking, a, I don't want to be a person who is just simply taking a, a, a series of moral stances against a world that's not noticing, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I want the world to notice me. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> so, I'm going to just put you on the spot a little bit. Is yeah. That okay? Do it. Uh, I felt so nervous. Oh, I don't know why. I don't know why. I, she didn't seem like she was gonna cut me off or anything. For some reason, I felt like I was, I was suddenly like wasting her time. Though she looked interested for the first time. I think she teared up. Like not like she was crying, just like those, those. Um, empathy drops that creep out of your eyes when you feel surprised that you're connecting with someone. I get that a lot around like silent big guy types. Like when I feel like they're opening up to me. I don't know why I assume they're opening up to me. Like I'm some sort of like masculinity whisperer. She was definitely like wiping her eyes a little, as if, they, as if they just had dust in them, but they didn't have dust in them. Why was I so nervous that I was wasting her time? The whole interview was wasting her time. At least this part had a message, but but that message was stupid. I hated that message. But I felt like it was what she needed to hear. I know why I feel guilty. I felt like like the real message I learned from the story is is condescending. The message is, is be an artist. Be defiant and alone. Just be aware that nobody cares. I suddenly felt like guilty in classes that I was telling this woman about the time I almost worked in an office, but luckily I didn't. About the time I like learned something about stances and taking them. Because in order to learn that lesson, you, you sort of have to like operate under the assumption that bullshit jobs are, are bullshit. Like I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying something like, you can be right, but in the wrong way. But I don't know. The problem is I didn't want to tell her that I feel like I was right at all. Like it feels as if I'm coming down from my bourgeois pedestal to explain to her that the futility of her work. Like, I don't want to be that prick. So I lied. I ended it with some ending that I don't believe because because I didn't think she could handle my truth. God, I'm such a prick. Plus, I forgot about the whole part about the about my biggest weakness. I wanted to say I wanted to say that after they they um, explained to me that we're selling life insurance that that my actual biggest weakness is my fear of death. Or rather the, a fear that death inevitably points to the futility of life. Like we all have this infinitely small piece of pie on this infinitely large planet that goes for an infinite amount of time. We're just such a small fraction of matter, just eighty years of life in one person when there's eight billion people that just exist now, and that's just now. Like there's an infinite amount of time. We mean nothing and death just points to the fact that we mean nothing. I was supposed to say that in the story. And then what was really kind of, you know, a nail on the head was I go to 
They gave me a dollar an hour raise to $12 an hour. <laughs> you had to go to that. Hi. And then I'm going to give you guys commission, but I'm only going to give you 0.3% of 1% and Trevor's going to get the rest. Aye, aye, aye. And I said, for what? <laughs> I do twice as much than anybody in here. Mm-hmm. And you're going to tell me you're only going to pay me $12 an hour plus 0.03% commission? Yeah, that's... Have you lost your mind? You want to be appreciated. <laughs> By the way, I didn't get the job. This is how much you would have to pay just to grab... Oh, well. <laughs>